A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. The uh, latest unemployment figures are out just in the last uh, uh, few moments. And they have shown uh, we now have an unemployment rate of 4.1%. The number of UK workers on payrolls fell by 695,000 between March and August, obviously due to the impact of the pandemic and the lockdown. Uh, fewer workers uh, have been away on furlough and average hours uh, rose. Uh, the number of job vacancies, though, has uh, continued to recover into August. So, but we are looking at a number unemployment rate that has gone up uh, just to a from uh, uh, from month to month, 0.2%. It's gone up 0.3% in total. So things are actually looking well, a lot <laughs> a lot better from the month of August than uh, uh, perhaps many would have feared when we're looking back at uh, these uh, the lockdown earlier on. But let's talk to Justin Urquhart Stewart. He's business commentator at Seven Investment Management and joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Um, I mean, obviously, there there are really no good news figures these days. But um, is this uh, unemployment rate is 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 this better or worse or just what you feared? Well, it's actually slightly better, rather perversely, even as you say, the unemployment rate's gone up to 4.1%, actually less than uh, I thought it'd be. Bear in mind, we do have the protective cover of furlough still operating. Yeah. So as that winds down, you're going to see a lot more coming out, and I'm afraid the job outlook is not good. Perversely, because of the way the figures are calculated, actually the employment rate's actually gone up slightly. Uh, and what that means is actually people who had found them, who had actually signed themselves off as actually not actually in the workforce has suddenly found themselves signing back up and going back, back into the workforce. But uh, that's a, a relatively um, uh, obscure number, but yeah. uh, no, that's a positive bit. What you are seeing, though, I'm afraid, is the overall trend. You're going to see as we come out of this, the fog of furlough will start showing, actually, there will be more jobs being lost. And you can identify the sectors, it's arts, it's leisure, uh, all of those areas which are particularly going to be hit at the moment. However, what you are seeing is more people actually going back to work in the manufacturing areas and those sort of um, uh, issues. But the issue is, can they start growing? And the answer is they only start growing once the economy starts moving at a greater pace. And that's not what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, indeed. I mean, this is the big fear, isn't it? The photo scheme has changed uh, constantly from uh, uh, August, September onwards. We know at the end of next month, it is coming rapidly at us, isn't it? Uh, October 31st, the photo scheme ends. And we've been told repeatedly by Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, there will be no extension to the scheme, although lots of people uh, crying out for there to be some sort of sector by sector uh, help. 
not, but maybe not across the board. And and I think we all understand you can't sort of preserve the economy as it was uh, in, in March. It, it's going to change inevitably. But um, there, there is there is there is still some concern. And um, when do we expect a lot of these redundancy notices to go out there? For a lot of people who've been told, look, you're on the furlough scheme, but basically there isn't going to be a job for you to go back to. That's the end of October when there's going to be some serious costs uh, for for the employer for keeping anyone on. Is it sort of 45 days notice? In which case we would be expecting, you know, any time around now, an awful well, lot of redundancy notices to go out? It is in this next quarter, unfortunately. That's when you're really going to be seeing it out. The good employers would have actually been already telling people in advance, saying, look, I'm sorry, it looks so like we can't do it. Here's an indication of what's going to be happening. And by the way, here's notice. Uh, others, I'm afraid, you know, have been waiting to see what the recovery is looking like yes. and then making up their minds, making their decision. I think there's a good chance that we may follow what actually what you've seen in France and Germany is an extended furlough system, as you say, nuanced by sector by sector, yeah. rather than just saying just falling off a cliff and saying, well, that's it. No, that, that's the end of it. Yes. That, that, that is, I think, is just overly dramatic. Um, and of course, the, the, the only bit of good news you've got here is, of course, as you've talked about before, um, the Chancellor has the ability to actually draw on more money because they have this wonderful mechanism of quantitative easing where we can print the sodding stuff. Um, <laughs> and have done <laughs> and have done very consistently but, but it's course, not it's not we're not waking know. up to so this is not sort of really really bad news i mean look we, we are we are still looking at i mean the, the worst case scenarios for our unemployment rate will be pretty much where france started from for theirs i mean it's oh, not uh, it's not all bad news Oh, our economy was in very good shape. Yeah. Let's uh, no, we can we can throw ourselves into the uh, slough of despond if we so wish, but actually our economy was in good shape. But we were heading for a slowdown anyway. We even have had two technical quarters of shrinking economy, which is comes out of recession. But people get very worked up over that word. Uh, we were actually heading to a slowdown in the cycle, but we were in a much better position. Um, the problem is actually now going to be employment growth, and employment growth yeah. will come about through confidence. And of course, one of the issues, which the word we never like talking about when you're talking about employment is the issue of Brexit. I was just, just going to come learn. on to that. How convenient. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the Guardian's got a front page today. Revealed number 10 is warned of 7,000 lorries stuck in post-Brexit chaos. Secret report predicts long delays for freight to Eurostar passengers. This is, of course, one of those wonderful, reasonable worst-case scenario reports. They always seem to leave out the locusts and the asteroid attack. <laughs> I never understand why uh, Godzilla isn't even mentioned at all, so they've obviously not gone through the report properly. Um, but um, but <laughs> this is still loose and I think a lot of people say, oh, well, it's all done and dusted. But we are getting some pretty, pretty, pretty nasty stages of the uh, the negotiations. I think it was always going to be thus, given how the EU has behaved so far since, since well, 2015 or even 2016. Um, how concerned are people in business about um, prospects of long queues at Dover or of a, a, or of a no-deal Brexit entirely? Well, I'm sure Godzilla's lurking somewhere out in the English Channel, just waiting to wade his way through <laughs> onto land. But no, there is a concern. And it's only a, really a matter of getting the organisation right. We've known about this for some time. Uh, the problem is we're waiting for the politicians to finally get a decision. Businesses just need time to try and plan all of this. So uh, it is a concern. But of course, it's in no one's interest on either side of the channel to have this. So the, rea- the reality is likely to be, yes, there may we may end up with checks, but not everything's going to be 
actively checked the entire time. There may be you know, s systematic checks. Uh, we're checking anyway for obviously for other issues such as people on, on lorries who shouldn't be there anyway. Um, but actually trying to make sure that actually controlling uh, levels of imports and those of areas, a lot of that doesn't have to be done at the border. So you can actually do that elsewhere. So I suspect what you're going to find is a lot more adjustment in terms of the rules if we don't get a proper agreement by that stage. But I still think we will get one because, frankly, it's in nobody's interest yes, to do so. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of anxious tears being spilt, but I think it's all going to end up just fine in the end. With that said, I'm perfectly happy with the no deal either way. Justin Urquhart, Stuart, always a pleasure to talk to you. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Sir Ian Duncan Smith, former Work and Pension Secretary, former uh, Tory leader and still MP, of course. Good morning to you. Morning, Good morning. I mean, we've just had a whole string of former MPs, such as former Prime Ministers, former Attorney Generals, even a former Chancellor, Sajid Javi, criticising the government for breaching uh, international law by attempting to rewrite the withdrawal agreement agreed only last year with the EU. Um, lots of criticism that, that you know, we're putting ourselves on the same par as Russia, uh, China, Iran, North Korea, breaching international law. Um, do you think this is a significant issue and are you worried about it? Well, it's a significant issue. Um, I will say, by the way, I'm the only one who was either an ex-leader or ex-conservative prime minister that actually supported the government last night. <laughs> so uh, I wear that as a badge of honour in this particular respect, because I was also the only one of them that actually voted for Brexit. Anyway, moving <laughs> on quickly to answer your question, I think uh, it is, of course, uh, a serious issue, um, because the government coming to this point, recognising the weaknesses within the treaty, some of us were warning them about that, uh, and that was the reason why... Uh, Clause 38 of the Withdrawal Act was put in there by many of us and the government agreed, which, uh, which makes a very clear statement saying notwithstanding essentially anything inside this Act, nothing shall affect the right of uh, the Parliament to establish its sovereignty and to make its laws uh, relevant to the United Kingdom. And I think that's the key element that the government has decided to rely on in the process of changing the nature potentially of our relationship and it's because the EU has frankly and this is absolutely clear as day refused point blank uh, to negotiate in a fair and reasonable way to cover these issues about how the UK would find it intolerable if they were not to grant third party status to the UK in terms of goods, which would mean we'd cut off ourselves from Northern Ireland. Yeah, I mean, um, this thing, I mean, a lot of them, again, for most of us who've got lives, children, jobs, yeah, people, the, the, third party status, people, what on earth is that? And this is basically the whole thing. We're not, we're not part of the EU, we're not one of the 28 member states, but we're given yeah. a, a, a special status. So it's a, there's a, you know, they trade with, you know, other countries around the world, but some countries are granted the status where um, they, they, there's sort of automatic approval. We know that your food standards at a reasonable level or the, you know, higher or, or, or same level. And and, and therefore, uh, you can uh, you can export foods to us as as a given. Now they know what our food standards are because we've been in the EU for the last forty odd years, uh, and we also have most of the time, um, and certainly right now, have higher food standards than many countries in the EU. Um, for them, for the EU to claim that this is a big concern for them, that we may one day change our food standards, uh, and even if we did then what everyone else would do, just notify the WTO and then then change, and then the EU could accept or not accept. Um, it, I mean, it's a total it's a total farce from them to pretend this is a genuine concern for them isn't it yeah it's actually quite typical how the way by the eu uh, uh, behaves in negotiations that's why pretty much every country that's negotiated with them 
ends up hating them uh, <laughs> in regard to this, and the WTO too finds. I mean, if you look at as regards breaking uh, international law, the EU has a phenomenal track record of breaking international law. It's not implemented any of the WTO rulings, which are supposed to have direct effect. They simply brush them aside. The Germans have done much the same. You know, the reality is we even already have failed to implement international law when we refuse to give prisoners voting rights, quite rightly, uh, because that was meant to be implemented without any debate or argument. So, you know, this we get a little bit hung up on this and the public doesn't know what this is about. The truth is, the real point about this is, one, the EU uh, is threatening to say to us, well, we might just say, no, you don't have the right to sell your goods uh, because you won't have that status. And two, the big important internal matter is by doing that, they would force us to cut ourselves off from Northern Ireland with full tariff checks and regulatory checks between goods going between Ireland and the rest of GB. And of course, the Act of Union makes it absolutely clear that all of the parts of the United Kingdom can never have any tariffs or any regulatory barriers between them. So this would breach our very domestic and important vital constitutional laws. So the government's right to say to the EU, I tell you what's going to happen. If you decide not to negotiate properly and not to come to the Joint Committee and get rid of this threat, then we will have in our back pocket legislation which basically says this withdrawal agreement has simply failed uh, and we're going our own way and goodbye to you. So that point is part of the negotiation of the government's right to do this. And I simply say to my colleagues, honestly, you have to trust the government to get on with this. Uh, we need to tell the European Union they cannot go on trying to bully us. We are a sovereign nation now. OK, just finally, I want to ask you uh, just about uh, well, the front page of some of the papers today about uh, this rule of six and, and the sort of the vagaries of this law, no birthday parties, but you can go grouse hunting, things like that, um, irritating a lot of people. Um, also calls for government ministers saying that, you know, we should be effectively grassing on our neighbours, snitching on them if they have a seven people for a birthday party as a child, uh, that they should uh, they should dob them into the police. Would you do that? No, no, not really, unless I saw something appalling. I went out and patrolled the police the other night, uh, late into the hours, early hours of the morning, and there were a couple of incidents where there were maybe 100, 150 people revelling, you know, silent discos, all that sort of stuff, very close to each other. Clearly, that's not allowed, mm -hmm. and the police need the powers to break that up if necessary. But... You know, if somebody has, I don't know, seven people in their garden and you're peering out the window and you say, I'm going to report them to the police, I think this is where the problem comes. My sense all through this is the honest truth is we go on doing this and then we bounce back, then we lock down again. And we need the economy moving and we need people. Most people, genuinely, the vast, vast, yeah. vast, vast majority of people get it. And they are. The reason why we're not seeing huge hospital rises or uh, deaths is because most people are already following common sense principles. We should trust the British public much more and lecture them a lot less. That's my general view. So, Indung Smith, thank you very much indeed for that. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Right now, I'm delighted to welcome the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, to the show. Good morning to you, Home Secretary. Julia, good morning. Lovely to speak to you. Um, now, uh, very interesting news this morning in terms of how many people you're recruiting to join the police force. 100,000 or more people uh, have, uh, have uh, applied to join the police force after your big recruitment drive last year. Um, how many of those have actually been taken on? So, so far, we have 4,336 new police officers. Um, Bobby's out on the beat, on patrol, and that's since our recruitment drive, which was announced last year. So the recruitment drive is going well. We've got another um, TV and radio campaigns that are being launched today as well. And I think it's pretty inspiring, actually, that 100,000 people have chosen to apply to join the police, to go on our front line. Julia, you've heard me say this many, many times before. You know, I think our police officers are heroes across our communities. Um, You know, they do so much fantastic work. They're on the front line day in, day out. These are the very people that work day day in, day out, night and day to keep us safe. And they are remarkable individuals. Um, I mean, they're working night and day to keep us safe. A lot of people have been very unhappy about how a lot of the policing has been carried out during the lockdown, a um, failure to police big protests. And yet we're told the police need to get involved if we have a birthday party in our back garden or in our home uh, for seven people. Should the police be spending their time dealing with that? Well, I think first and foremost, the when it comes to dealing with crime, protest, activity, we've seen so much take place over recent months. And we've also see our, seen our police officers, I think, do heroic things throughout coronavirus um, in terms of stopping the spread of the disease. And of course, through that, they have been enforcing, as you know, fixed penalty notices where people have been non-compliant. And that's effectively what they're being asked to do once again, um, to find people in the same way in which, Julia, they were finding people with illegal raids, mass gatherings, um, levelling fines and penalties of up to £10,000 confiscated. Oh, goodness me. Apologies. We seem to have just lost your line, Home Secretary. Um, do our, You've just frozen on the video screen. Apologies for that. I hope we can uh, uh, get uh, the pretty Patel back. I uh, don't know what's going on there. Oh, the joys of lockdown into, well, not lockdown, but uh, uh, social distance interviewing. So hopefully... Uh, we're going to try her back on the line. Meanwhile, uh, Bobby Freeman, you'll have to help me fill in some time while we try and get the Home Secretary back on the line. Um, actually, apologies. We have got, I think, Pretty Patel is now back on the line. Um, Home Secretary, um, can you hear me OK? I can oh, hear Oh, good. We've got you back. Yeah. That's good news. Um, uh, there, but there are a lot of people, and I've got very good friends who are police officers, and, and they echo what a lot of uh, other officers I've spoken to said, which is that they feel that, you know, it's all very well. They, they want to do the job. They, they, they joined, you know, no one's joining the police to make good money. They're joining the police force because they want to do a good job. They want to they want to help protect people. And they feel they don't have the resources and they don't have the backing from senior staff in terms of doing their job. There's whole, you know, we have all these issues about people taking the knee, uh, failure to intervene, 
when people are defacing, say, the Winston Churchill statue um, in, in, in Parliament uh, and, and the like, that actually that they are having their hands tied behind their backs. Is there any point in recruiting all these extra police officers if we're not going to allow them to do the job that they want to do and the public wants them to do? The public want the police to enforce the law. And it's right that the police do that. And quite frankly, when we see 100,000 people wanting to join the police, they themselves are motivated, obviously, to serve their public, serve the community, keep us safe, and also be part of law enforcement. And I absolutely commend that. I think that's right. I've been vocal on this whole point in the past as well. Um, I don't think police officers should be taking the knee. I've said that previously. I want to see our police officers enforce the law. And I will give them you know, the resourcing that they need, back in that they need to do that and of course you know someone that you know i don't have operational command of policing but it, it is down to their police chiefs the police leaders to empower their officers to use the tools that they have and also to encourage them basically to get out there and police and enforce the law there is nothing that is stopping the police from doing that they have the powers they know the law um they are you know the purveyors of police enforcement and law enforcement okay. they should absolutely be out there doing that well i mean one, one of my acquaintances said you know they've got a situation where they've had drug dealers meeting in the house opposite them for years and years the police refused to turn up she said oh, great now if they meet in groups of more than six now the police will turn up there is a feeling from a lot of people that the police turn a blind eye to a lot of crime that is very serious and we've seen this horrific spate of stabbings uh, in, in recent years particularly in, in capital city a bit in other major cities around the, the country um, and yet they they you know they're, they're going to be people telling you off uh, you know in the lockdown for sunbathing in the park or, or telling you off if you've got more than six people in your back garden or in your home um, sure if we have policing by consent it's very important that the police are seen to be on the side of the law-abiding citizen a lot of people don't feel that anymore is there anything you're going to do about that well, I think, first of all, when it comes to criminality, when it comes to violence and drugs and things of that nature, <clears throat> excuse me, it's absolutely right that the police are out there enforcing the law. You've actually mentioned a really important and serious point, which is about serious crime and serious violence. You mentioned our capital city. Um, now, of course, the individual responsible for policing um, across actually the country, capital cities, etc., etc., the police and crime commissioners, and it's right that they are held to account. It's absolutely right that they are held to account um, by the taxpayers, by the public, in terms of the policing decisions that they are making. Now, I think it's an absolute outrage, quite frankly, that we see serious violence increase on the streets of London. Um, We are doing everything, I'm doing everything as Home Secretary to ensure the police are equipped and empowered. You know, stop and search, for example. Um, Having the tools to serious violence reduction orders, which we announced yesterday, many of our manifestations commitments are absolutely um, there to ensure that police officers tackle these most horrendous crimes to try and save lives rather than seeing gangs and gang violence on the streets of our capital city. So these are issues that have to be picked up. But you've also mentioned this whole issue about policing throughout coronavirus. First and foremost, it's absolutely right that, you know, the public take personal responsibility. I don't like, you know, our lives being policed. I'll be very, very clear about that. We all have an individual, you know, personal responsibility to take. And I think the British public have been doing that throughout coronavirus. 
we have seen pockets, and I'm going to say this now, pockets of non-compliance, whether it's people holding raves, whether it's people holding mass gatherings or, you know, being in groups of more than the permitted numbers or venues where they're just not putting in COVID compliant measures. It's right that we tackle non-compliance. Okay. And it's not just down to the police, it's down to local councils, it's down to health and safety, it's down to trading standards. You know, we're seeing all these component parts come together to ensure that we can stop the spread okay. of the virus. But, and but, it's right that we do that. But you, as Home Secretary, your neighbours have a party, children's birthday party. I'll, I'll put this to Kurt Malthouse, one of your ministers, yesterday. You, yeah. you, if they refuse to uh, break up the party, you'd call the police on them. Well, I mean, I'm for a start, I'm not interested in policing my neighbours. I'm interested in stopping the spread of the virus. And I would exercise... So you, oh, hold on a minute. So you accept that someone having a party, say, for seven people in their garden wouldn't actually stop, uh, have an effect on the spread of the virus, so it wouldn't be worth stopping? Well, they're outdoors. They could be undertaking so, social distancing well, measures. Well, well, no, no, no. Um, I'm sorry, Home Secretary. Under the law the brought in time, by your government, that is a criminal offence. under the rule of six. But you've so just admitted that that rule of six isn't actually about stopping the spread of the virus. So we've got a rule, a law in that affects our personal liberties that you don't actually think will stop the spread of the virus. Is that right? It is right that we have, you know, and the police have actually asked for this, by the way. I mean, you mentioned Oh, about if the police have police, asked for it. No, 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 no. We've, we've had discussions around policing, but also keeping this simple. And the rule of six is absolutely about that, being very clear to the public in terms of numbers of people that can come together. But obviously, it's right that we have social distancing measures and people, as I said, take personal responsibility as to how they conduct. No, but no, no, I'm sorry, Priti Patel, you're contradicting yourself. If you're saying if people have got social distancing and people take personal responsibility, then they should be allowed to know that, they, they, that it's OK for them not to face a criminal record if that's they have if they have more than six people in me, meeting in their, in their Absolutely garden. Not. The rule of six is clear. This is about six people and no more. And it doesn't allow personal responsibility and it doesn't take into account risk well, or social distancing. Well, of course it will, because even if you're meeting with six people, you're going to be undertaking those kinds of those measures on social distancing, you know, wearing masks, etc., and it's the right thing to do. And we should, you know, these these features are now part of our day to day lives, Julia. You know, wearing a mask on the tube when you go into the supermarket, when you're out and about. This has become our new normal. Well, our um, new normal has been being able to meet outdoors because we know it's much safer. In Scotland, uh, we can meet outside. Um, you know, in Wales, you can still have up to 30 outside. Um, in, in Northern Ireland, the, the rule of six only applies to indoors. Um, uh, uh, but why in England is it inside and outside when we know people are safer outside? Yeah, but we're also seeing the spread of this disease. And I think, Julia, when you look at even some of the data around the increase in coronavirus, you know, we've seen more imported cases, people traveling from abroad, coming back home. We're seeing different age groups now, younger people in particular. now being Younger, healthier people getting positive tests for coronavirus. Yes, absolutely. Getting, getting positive tests for coronavirus, but also they are still carriers and they can spread the disease. Well, Carl Hennigan, um, Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford, has questioned whether that is the case in terms of the testing. Let's move on to testing if we can, um, uh, because there's been a big issue of you know, 200,000 testing capacity. We're testing far more than Spain and France, no doubt at all about that. But we were all told, going to go and get yourself tested if you've got any worries. Children at school can't go to school if you haven't got a negative test, if there's been an outbreak. Um, we're now told don't get tested unless you've got symptoms. Which is it? Should we try and get ourselves tested or shouldn't we? 
Well, we've said it from day one that if you are symptomatic, you should get a test. And we've also seen that throughout recent months as well, where we have lockdowns, you know, we have local lockdowns where clearly we've had spikes in coronavirus. More mobile testing has been made available. Um, in fact, more home testing, more testing slots have been made available on a daily basis. And that's absolutely right that we get people um, tested if they are symptomatic and they're showing the signs of having coronavirus. OK, um, can we also talk about another? something else onto your remit, uh, the migrant boats. This is something that was raised by the Brexit Party leader, Nigel Farage, over the summer. Um, another, you know, quite a few dozen boats arriving on our shores yesterday. We'd have quarantining, you know, law-abiding British citizens returning to this country from holiday, uh, from countries actually, which have a, apparently a lower rate than some of our, our major cities have of coronavirus infections. Um, and uh, we're forcing us to sort of go back into our homes to a certain extent and limiting our, our contact with other people. Meanwhile, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of illegal migrants turning up on our shore uh, every single day. Uh, what is being done about that? Oh, I think we've rather conveniently just lost that line with Pretty Patel. I don't know if we're able to get her back or not. Uh, we are not able to get her back. Uh, apologies for that. Um, I, I think actually we've gone over our time. So I don't. this is not the Home Secretary uh, um, refusing to answer that question. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.